Can we go to the word of the Lord now? Is that okay? I have to confess to you uh, that I'm very awkward with this message today. Uh, In fact, so awkward that I have been literally fighting it for at least a month. Um, it's, It's been percolating in my heart. I've been ruminating, whatever word you want to use, and, and just letting it settle in, and it would, it would keep coming to me, and honestly, and I, I'll tell you why in a second, but I kept kind of rejecting it. I kept pushing it out of my mind. No, no, I kept, I just literally, I could feel myself pushing it away, and until it reached the point of being almost silly when I finally realized, Dan, it could be the Lord's trying to put, because it keeps coming back, you know, you're pushing it away. You're fighting this off. And so because of that, I, you know, thoughts kept coming, scriptures, supporting scriptures and ideas kept coming. I'm sure Pastor Bell, I know Pastor Des, know any other pastor knows exactly what I'm talking about. When the Lord gives you a message and, and you wrestle with it, uh, and this is one of those. And, and let me tell you why. The, the reason I'm reluctant to give it is, number one, it's so very simple. It's extremely simple. And another reason is it's, it's a topical message, and I'm not very good at that. I would much rather exegete a passage and speak ex, ex, uh, exegetically than topically. I'm, I'm not as good at that. And number three, and this is probably the main reason, it's such a basic idea that I'm sure that many of you will immediately be prone to have the response, oh, I dealt with that years ago. And, and you might even be questioned, uh, wondering why or questioning why I'm wasting your time even talking about the subject, except that I understand this principle regarding spiritual discipline, and that is this. There's not a more dangerous place for you to be, dear one, in your spiritual walk than to be in any place where you think you have arrived. With any spiritual discipline, the minute you think you have arrived, the minute you think you have conquered basically any spiritual discipline, let me just tell you what you've done. You have put yourself right in the middle of the crosshairs of the enemy's attack. If you think, oh, I got that, I got this, that's the way it works. This is why we must be, as believers, we must be vigilant, we must be on guard, even at times with the simplest of things, lest the enemy be given any measure of, any measure of foothold in our lives. Peter substantiates this thought in 2 Peter chapter 1. And I, I was thinking of this yesterday because there he provides a list of critical spiritual disciplines that he refers to um, in the version I was reading. He calls them supplements. He says, supplement your faith with moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and patient endurance and godliness and brotherly affection and love and these are things you, uh, you add to your faith. But here's what he says after that that I found interesting. He says, these are things that you do, you, that, that you do not, you, you don't conquer them, but rather you must continue to grow in them. It's not a matter of reaching the point where you arrive and say, I got that and that. No, you continue to grow in them. And then he gives this warning. He says, those who fail to continue to grow, those who fail to continue to develop, who think that they have arrived, here's what Peter says. He says they're short-sighted, they're blind, and they have forgotten that they have been cleansed from their old sin. And so with that in mind, let me plunge into this topic today and ask that you give me your full attention for just a few minutes. So what is this simple subject that I want to present to you today? Well, it's, it's, it's one of the final Ten Commandments, and you know it well, and it's simply this. Don't lie. 
Speak the truth. Don't lie. Speak the truth. It's one of those very first things you have to teach your children when, when they're very young. How many of you know that when you bring that baby home from the hospital, they do not come with a default setting to be honest? How many of you know that's true? You have to teach them to be honest. Even when they're very, very little, I was, I was thinking about, you know, our, our daughter when she was a, when she was a toddler. Uh, now, her version of the story and my version are, are a little bit different. And I bet this story could be repeated across this room. She, how many of you ladies, when you were little, you got a pair of scissors and you cut your bangs? Anybody ever do that? Most of the ladies in the room. Well, and then did you lie about it to your parents? Okay. Well... Our daughter, when I was confirming my story, says, didn't she do that? She goes, no, I got the scissors, and I cut the dog's hair, is what she said she did. Her mother says, no, she cut her hair too. All I know is this. On the floor, here's the hair. Here's the scissors. No one else is in the room, and she's saying, Daddy, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Well, there's something not true going on there. And, and I know this is going to come as a surprise to you, and, and you may not have understood this before, but did you know that even adults, even Christian adults, can face the temptation to lie? Can you imagine that? And it even happens in the state of Texas. Did you know that? <clears throat> Something terrible has happened to us at our house. So it's, it's awful. And that is this, less than a mile from the home where we live, right on the path to the church, right on the path to uh, most places that we go, they have put up a Shipley's Donuts. It's a terrible thing. <clears throat> it, you know, the temptation, it's, it's screaming my name every time I, I, every time I drive by there. Well, a couple of weeks ago, the, um, I pulled through the drive and got a little order that I had, and it was, you know, less than $5. And I noticed that the person who was waiting on me, uh, it, was, it was a young girl, and she was brand new. Now, you've got to ask Pastor Dan, how do you know she's brand new? <laughs> well, the reason is, when you're on a first name with basis with everybody's in Shipley's Donuts, you know when the new ones come, okay? <clears throat> That's how it works. She was new, and I could tell that even this was probably her first job, and she was very young, and probably her first day, and, and the whole making change thing had her a, a little freaked out. How many remember the days when you had to really make change in your head, and you didn't have a computer there to help you? Okay, well, she was nervous even with all the help that was there. And so I handed her a $5 bill, and she, she gave me change back as if I had given her a 20 and even when she took my money, she was kind of fearful, and it's like, okay, now I've got to do this. And she was slow to get it out and wasn't sure, and, and she handed it back. And so I got, I got 15 extra, extra dollars plus you know, what, what should have been mine. Now, I'm going to tell you that for about two seconds, okay, for about three seconds, <clears throat> For about five seconds, I thought, Jehovah Jireh. That's exactly what I thought. <clears throat> no. But I knew that young lady's cash drawer would not balance at the end of the day, and, and it was wrong. Could I have gotten away with it? Sure. Absolutely, I could have. But the reality of it is this. The temptation is there for all of us. 
And that temptation can show up in any form or fashion. It might be on a job application. It might be on a resume. It might be on an IRS document. We'll do most anything we have to do or say to make us look good. And including on that list of things we will do, we will sacrifice our honesty if we think we can get by with it, if it will make us look better. Now, that's the reality of it. But can I just remind us all something today that I know we know, and that is this. We never escape the all-seeing eye of God. God sees, God knows the truth, and God honors the truth. In fact, I'm going to say it to you this way as long as you're listening to me. I want you to understand this. God cannot work with a lie. God will not work with a lie. If you want to function in a lie, God basically is saying, okay, you're on your own. I'm out. You, one of the quickest ways to, to get the Holy Spirit to leave you is to deliberately function in something that is not true, to deliberately function in a lie. God honors the truth, and I believe he particularly honors the truth when you function in truth, and there is a cost factor attached to that truth with you. Sometimes you have to do something and, and be honest, but there's, you pay a price for it. There's a cost factor attached to it. Watch this video very quickly. So you see what happened there, right? No, you didn't see what happened? He served it, and, and the guy who received it would have been to his advantage for it to have been out, but the ball was actually in. The guy who received said, no, 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 the, he was, the serve was good. It was in, but he was willing to be honest uh, to do it. Did you not get that part of it? So what is it that makes us dishonest? We are all trying to position ourselves to our best advantage to ultimately get what we want. And so, therefore, what we have to understand, there is an enormous selfish component to someone who lies. And we are always tempted to say or do whatever we need to say or do in order to be sure that we look good in every situation. That's why when you go to a pastor's conference, uh, I, it's, I wish it weren't this way, but it is. Uh, when you walk around the halls and the lobbies uh, of a pastor's conference, one of the questions you'll inevitably hear somebody saying to another pastor, and that is this, so how many people are you running now in your church? And many pastors, you know, if you're listening, you know that they're giving the number that they had on Easter or on Mother's Day. And you will rarely hear them give the number that they had on the Sunday after Easter. And most of them are honestly rounding up to the nearest thousand. Most of them are, okay? Now, why is that? Because larger numbers will seem to validate your worth as a pastor. The more people who attend your church, the better you are at what you, what you do. Personally, I don't believe that. But in my years of living, and here's what I want you to get this morning, I've discovered at least two types of folks, and there are more, but at least two types of folks who are particularly susceptible to the temptation of dishonesty. We're all susceptible to it, but I want to highlight and spotlight two particular types of folks who are very susceptible to, uh, to lying. Number one. The first group of people who I think are susceptible are people who we're going to call pleasers. How many pleasers do we have in the room? You're not going to admit it now, are you? How many pleasers do we have in the room? Okay, if you're a pleaser, it is so important to you to be accepted by, um, uh, affirmed by, validated by someone that you admire, so much so that in their presence, you will be whatever it is you think they want you to be. 
in order to gain their acceptance, which means you will also say whatever it is you think they want you to say, even if that means stepping outside the boundaries of truth. So pleasers, you have to be vigilant, and you must be on guard. There's another group, though, that comes to mind that I think is particularly susceptible, and it's those who are still climbing the ladder of proving it. I call them provers. We got pleasers, we got provers. Haven't you run into those people to whom you just want to say, but buddy, what are you trying to prove? Well, why is this that you're trying to prove something? You don't have to prove, it, uh, prove anything. We accept you just the way you are. People who are proving it, uh, they always have to have a better story than everyone else in the room. People who are still proving it and proving their worth as a person and proving their value, they have to one-up everybody. Whatever subject comes up, they know more about it than everybody else. And whatever the subject is, they've, they've had more experience at it than everybody else. And you can tell that most everything that, that they say is designed so that inwardly we will all somehow go, ooh, ah, wow. And yet rarely, if ever, does that ever happen. They need you to be impressed with them. Someone who's proving it is, is they are typically a good talker and a terrible listener. How many of you know a prover? Anybody know a prover? They're a good talker but they are a terrible listener. People who are proving it are so prone to lose their way in the realm of truth, they will cross the line from truth to dishonesty and almost never notice it, which is why you will often hear me say, blessed are those who have nothing left to prove. That's why we say that. I couldn't help but notice um, my personal devotion time this week, I, you know, this, again, this, this message has been in my heart for so long, and it's become the lens through which I, I see about everything. And, and um, I, in my own personal devotion time this week, I, I saw the contrast between this, these provers, as I call it, and the example that we have in, in Jesus given to us uh, by Paul in Philippians 2. It's such a familiar passage where he says, he's speaking of Jesus. And again, I'm contrasting this to these folks that are always having something to prove. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in, in others too. Don't you love those people who, who know how to say very sincerely, they, they, they just know how to say, so, tell me something about you. Everybody is so interested in their own self-interest and in their own self-concerns, but how wonderful those people, and they're becoming harder and harder to find, who can say to you, tell me something about you. Verse five, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, though he was God, you talk about a better story than everybody else, talk about more experience than everybody else, talk about being smarter than everyone else in the room, he's omniscient. Talk about being more powerful than everyone else in the room. He's omnipotent. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He didn't have to have that. He wasn't trying to prove himself in any way. Verse 7, instead he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave. And He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience 
to, to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He could have said any number of things to work that situation to his advantage, to avoid the death on the cross, but he didn't. And so here's what happens, because we understand one of the principles with God is this, that when you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, what will he do? He will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he, so because Christ humbled himself, therefore God elevated or exalted him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue on heaven and in earth and under, under the earth uh, declare that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Can you say amen to that today? So pleasers, be on guard. Provers. You got to be vigilant about the truth. The temptation is so strong to step out of the realm of truth, either to make ourselves acceptable to someone else or to think somehow we will validate ourselves and prove our worth. But all the while, we have to be careful that we're not sacrificing our integrity right under the watchful, all seeing eye of a sovereign God. I want to pass through on my little journey here this morning two, two proverbs I want to bring to your attention. Because there are two Proverbs that have a lot to say to us about honesty. These Proverbs give us uh, almost a metaphoric view of our potential for dishonesty. The Bible says this in Proverbs 21.6. It says, wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. Wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. Here it is from another version. It says this, make it to the top by lying and cheating and you'll get paid with smoke and promotion, but that promotion is to death. I want to show you one other proverb that I find most interesting. It's back just one chapter in chapter 20, Proverbs 20, 17 that says this, stolen bread tastes sweet, but it turns to gravel in the mouth. Say that with me. Stolen bread To gain anything by a lying tongue is, according to the Bible, smoke and mirrors. It is to obtain something that, you, that will eventually turn against you. Do you know that you were created to tell the truth? Do you know you're designed, your body was designed to tell the truth? That's why polygraphs work. Because God so created your body that your body doesn't do right stuff when you're lying or when you're not telling the truth. From brain waves to emotions and heartbeat and sweat glands, everything about it will indicate if you're telling the truth or not. And that test is not examining your words, it's examining the way your body responds. Lies actually harm your body because God created you to tell the truth. I heard of them, a little gadget they have now that can detect from your voice inflection if you're lying or not. It's, it's a, a lie detector watch gadget. If you're lying, it will beep by simply reading your voice inflections. How many parents would like to have that for your kids at home? Okay. When you like to take it with you, a little device like that, to the car dealership and when you're negotiating on a car, and you're saying, is this the best deal you can give me on this car? And could you speak right here into, into my... 
Or ladies, maybe you need to take it with you on a date when that man says to you, oh, I love you so very much. And you say, could you say that just a little bit louder? One more time right here. You know what's funny is the government outlawed it because they said it was immoral. I thought lying was immoral. But ladies and gentlemen, like it or not, we are living in a culture today that does not tell the truth. But there's something we need to understand, and that is this, that truth fears no question. Say that with me. Truth fears no question. That's where these Proverbs come into play. These are verses that keep us in check, reminding us that Sweet stolen bread can turn to gravel in our mouth, and dishonest gain will never last. And to make it to the top by lying and cheating is like smoke and promotion, but the promotion is to death. The University of Michigan did a study that revealed that every American lies at least twice each day. Me? Every American lies at least twice each day, or a minimum of 600 times per year. The New York Times reported that just a few years ago, the the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey ran a help-wanted ad for electricians with expertise using something called a Sontag connector. They ran an ad, they wanted electricians with expertise in a Sontag connector, and they got over 200 responses. And what's interesting about this is there is no such thing as a Sontag connector. They just wanted to see if people actually lie on resumes. Yes, I'm an expert at that, and it doesn't even exist. And church, we must understand how important truth is to us as Christians. We absolutely must keep this alive in our own lives. So let me ask the question, how does bread turn to gravel? How does keeping the extra change that the girl mistakenly gave me? How does saying nothing when the ball was called out and yet you knew it was in? How do we as Christians preserve our testimony in a society where telling the truth is dissipating so rapidly? How can we, how can you and I share the truth of the gospel if we can't live the truth in the reality of our own lives? Well, here's what I would propose to you. When you lie, something dies. When you lie, something dies. We're all faced with that moment to skew the facts or to be silent about something where we should have spoken the truth or do whatever it takes to look better in some situation than we ought. And this can happen to us even when we're long past being a new convert. What is it that, what is it that possesses us? What would cause us to do that? What possesses us to tell someone that we will pray for them when we know good and well you probably won't? Haven't we all been guilty of that? Oh, I'll I'll pray for you and you walk away. You know what I recommend? Pray for them right there. Don't tell them you'll pray for them. No, do it right then and there. What possesses us to tell someone that we did something when we actually didn't do it? What is it in us that causes us to lie just to get a few bucks for our, for our business? What, what, what is it in us that would cause us to lie so that someone would just hire us for that job? All the while knowing that the Bible tells us that eventually that sweet bread in your mouth will turn to gravel. 
We think those things will never catch up with us. But the Bible tells us this, Proverbs 21, wealth created, as I read to you, by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. And make it to the top by lying and cheating and get paid with smoke and a promotion, but that promotion is to death. When we lie, something dies. But thank God for honesty. There's a word being used in our society today called pragmatism. Say it, pragmatism. It judges the truth of something based upon its success or its outcome. Pragmatism is a philosophical movement that generally stresses practical consequences as constituting the essential criterion in determining meaning, truth, or value, which means this. If the immediate outcome appears to be positive or appears to be working for me or it works well on our behalf, then it must be true. If the immediate outcome was that young lady gave me 15 extra dollars in change, then that must be true, it must be honest, it must be, that's pragmatism. If I can get away with keeping the extra change from the donut girl, then why wouldn't I get away with doing anything else that would be for my benefit? That's what pragmatism is. Well, here's the problem. There is no such thing as small lies. There's no such thing as small dishonesty. Can I just tell you, little white lies don't exist. Little lies lead to huge things. Little is not little. Small is not small. They are just small portals to the huge. Listen to what Jesus says when he says, whatever you do and how you behave on the smaller things will show you how you're going to behave on the bigger things. How many know that's true? You cannot say, oh, it was only 15 bucks from Shipley's Donuts when you understand that Jesus said this, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, the ball was in and not out, you, you, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying there is a cost for you looking at a bill where they accidentally left stuff off that they should have charged you for, and you go, oh, they left that off. And you, you weren't charged, and you should have been. Wow, and, and if you take the attitude, wow, God knows that things are tied at home, and look, he had those people just accidentally leave that off. No, God didn't cause that to happen. That's bread, that's bread that's going to turn to gravel in your mouth. And Jesus is saying, you cheat on that and you will forfeit the true riches of heaven. The little things in life matter to the all-seeing eye of God. You will forfeit true promotion. You'll forfeit what God wants to do in your life. For the blessing of God comes with honesty and integrity. Can I get an amen in the house today to that? When you, when you lie... Something dies. What dies? Integrity dies. Honesty dies. And conviction dies. And Jesus says when you make those little compromises, it is a huge portal. It's a huge entryway to making bigger compromises come true. And he goes further than that. He says this. How can you be trusted with true riches such as your destiny in God? How can you be trusted with God's promotion in your life? 
All these little things get put in jeopardy when you submit to the temptation of telling lies that lead to bigger lies. And church, we must never forget this. Never forget that your small decisions have a life direction component within them, like an arrow. The small parents, the small decisions you make, the small decisions you help your children learn in their life management skills, small decisions, they have a life direction component to them, like an arrow, and they point to the direction that you will be going. And those small decisions need to be measured in light of the true riches of heaven, according to our scripture this morning. There was a pastor of a large church in Washington, D.C., and every Saturday before the service, he would walk the streets of his city and just pray for the city and pray for the people and pray for the services of the next day. One day he walked so far, he just got lost in the presence of the Lord and lost in his time of prayer. He just kept walking walking. He didn't realize how far he had gone, and, and he had to take a bus to get back home. So he gets on the bus, and he gave the driver the, the bus fare, and he went back and found a seat toward the back, and he sat down, but it felt kind of strange. And he thought, oh my goodness, my, my, my pocket seems heavier than, than it should be. And he pulls out his money and realized that he, he, he got, like I did at Shipley's, he, he got more change back than, than really belonged to him. You know, if it's, it's just Shipley's donuts, it's no big deal. It's just change on a bus ride. It's no big deal if you listen to yourself. But you listen to Scripture, and it says that that's sweet bread that can turn to gravel. Sweet stolen bread, dishonesty, can turn to gravel. And so he said to himself, you know, well, it's just, just 75 cents. And, and he deliberated, this pastor deliberated, do I, do I say something or just leave it alone? So he gets up at his bus stop to exit the bus, and while he's walking by, he stops at the driver. He says, um, he says sir, um, before I go here, you... <laughs> You gave me 75 extra cents, more than, more than I should have. And the bus driver said, oh, I know. I was in your church last Sunday, and I just wanted to see if you were an honest man. And Bethesda, here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 15:3: The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Can you read that with me? The eyes. His eyes are at Shipley's Donuts, unfortunately. His eyes are in your kitchen when you're paying the bills or when you're preparing your tax return. His eyes see everything that goes on. Many folks today, listen to me carefully, many folks today are saying, what we need is more accountability. And yes, I, I'm sure we do. But you know what we've had a tendency to lose? You know what, what I think we've lost or we are losing in the church? We are losing the ability to live before the all-seeing eye of God. I'm all for accountability. Brothers to brothers, sisters to sisters. Many, many people have been helped with accountability groups, and, and that's fine. But we cannot... Put that in such a place to whereas we forget that we are living. You are living today. You are sitting in this service today underneath the all-seeing eye of a sovereign God. By the way, a God who loves you and who wants you and wants the best for you. Sometimes when we just live with this idea of accountability, it's like, I get to do it until you catch me. 
There's another way to live, and that's this, knowing that God is your audience. There's a concept that was presented to us by Pastor Des many, many times throughout his years of ministry here, and it was echoed by Dr. Mark Rutland when he spoke here years ago as well. And I want to present it to you this morning. It's a concept known as true truth. Say that. And this is, this is really what I want you to hear today. There is a difference in truth and true truth. Truth is simply stating facts. Facts as, as you know them to be true. True truth is operating fully in the spirit of the truth of the matter. True truth, it's the highest form of truth. To substantiate my claim that there is a difference between truth and true truth, I can only point to a court of law where they swear in a witness by asking them to do what? To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Nothing added, nothing taken away. That which is presented simply as truth can still be given with the intent to deceive. You may be presenting it as truth. You may be saying something that's true, but it still can be presented with the intent to deceive. However, true truth is never deceptive. Simple truth can be defensive. Simple truth can be destructive. But that cannot be said of of, of true truth. An example I've given, I, I think I've told you this before, uh, Becky worked with a lady who was uh, an older gal and she was just very outspoken and she was the kind who would you'd walk in and she would say, oh, you know, that outfit doesn't look good on you today. You should have worn something else. Or, or you know, you're having a bad hair day today. And, and sometimes, you know, Becky would just you know, laugh at her and she thought she was funny. And, but sometimes others would say, well, why would you say that? And she would say this. She would say, well, when I lay my head on my pillow tonight, I'll know that I spoke the truth. No, she spoke facts as she saw them. That is clearly not the spirit of true truth. It can be said like this. Listen to me. Simple truth can be deceiving. But true truth is always redemptive. Chew on that for just a second. Simple truth can be deceiving. True truth is always redemptive. And that's because Jesus is the truth. He's the true truth. And true truth is is redemptive because Jesus is the Redeemer. Therefore, there is... As we've heard so many times from this pulpit, there is grace for truth. Say that. There. When you are dealing with true truth, God supplies you with a supernatural enabling which allows you to deal with, to cope with, to process through the thing because He is giving you grace for truth. When you know the true truth of a situation, when you know the reality of what you are really dealing with, then God says, even if it's ugly, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's distasteful to you, because it's the truth, God gives you grace to deal with the truth. How many are thankful for that today? 
One of the best-known encounters with Jesus is given to us in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and you know it. It's the woman at the well. Their initial encounter got them past their racial differences. He a Jew, she a Samaritan. And Jesus gets close to this woman's heart as he begins speaking of living water. But somehow she just was not she just was not getting it. And he told her that those who would drink of this living water would never thirst again. And everything seemed to be going okay. It's just a nice casual conversation until this interesting turn takes place in the conversation. Now, now keep in mind as I walk you through this, simple truth can be deceptive. True truth is redemptive. Let me just show it to you very quickly. John chapter 4, verse 16, where this is where this turn takes place in the conversation. Jesus says, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. And when I read that, I think, what a strategic move on the part of Jesus to turn this conversation into that which is very personal and very real. Go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Is that true? Yeah, it's truth. It's a simple fact. It's deceptive, but it's true. You, you could, if you just listen to that, you could, you could um, uh, interpret that any number of ways, but she says, I don't have a husband. Truth, but deceptive. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and even the, the dude you're living with right now, you're not married to him. He's not your husband. But you certainly spoke the truth. Can we all just learn something from this? Don't lie to Jesus. She answers the mechanics of the question instead of the spirit of the question. She is answering in truth, but she is not answering in true truth. Have you ever been talking to someone and and they said something to you that inwardly your thoughts went like this? Hmm, that sounds right, and it might even be true, sort of, I guess. It just doesn't feel right. At least, at least it certainly doesn't feel like it's transparent. I, I have no reason to think that that's not true. It just doesn't. Raise your hand if you've ever had that kind of encounter with somebody. Well, we have to presume that she knew what Jesus meant, but she chose to give an answer that made her look better than the truth would have. And don't we all do that? Don't we all find ways of giving answers that make us look better than the real truth would have? Let me just bring this down to the real world here. Pastor, Pastor Dan, we're leaving the church. We just feel that God is calling us to another place of ministry. Or, Pastor, I know we've been involved in this particular ministry of the church, but, but we're just, we're just going to take a break for a while, and, 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 and here's why. You know, I, I've got that new job, or, you know, or we got a new dog, uh, or, or whatever. And they, they give me a surface reason, and it's probably true. It may be, yeah, you can say, yeah, that's true. It's just not true truth, because the true truth would probably reveal that there's some sort of offense there that has not been dealt with or that there is an unresolved issue. If you hear nothing else I've said today, listen to this. 
Simple truth allows you to remain in deception. Refusing to move on to the realm of true truth robs you of the opportunity for redemption. Simple truth allows you to remain in deception. Refusing to move into the realm of true truth robs you of the opportunity for redemption for the situation. And Jesus responded by saying, you know, technically, your answer is correct. Then he said, however, here's the true truth about your situation. And I want you to notice the very interesting thing that happens if you, as you just read through the chapter. It's one of those subtleties uh, that you might not notice unless you were really paying attention to it. Look what happens. In her eyes, Jesus moves from just a man to being a prophet. Look at verse 19. She says, sir, the woman said, after he's, you know, after, after he's basically read her mail here and said what's actually going on with her, she says, sir, you must be a prophet. He has now moved from just being a man that she met at the well. He's now a prophet. But then he moves further from just being a prophet. Verse 29, because she then goes on later in the story and she says, come see a man to her community. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Listen, I just want to say something. As she said, come see a man who told me everything. He does know everything about us. But here's what I want to say to you directly today. He knows everything about you, but he still loves you, and he still wants you, and somebody ought to say thank God for that today. Let me say it another way. He knows everything about you, and he still wants you. He knows all that stuff, and he still loves you, and he still wants you. So to her, Jesus has moved from being just a man to being a prophet, to being the Messiah. And then I take you to verse 42. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. And now we know that he indeed is the Savior of the world. Look at the progression of Jesus as you encounter him, as you allow him to reveal to you the truth of who you are and who he is. As you move from the realm of just truth to the realm of true truth, you will see that every step with Jesus takes you further and further and further into the majesty and the wonder of who he is. He's not just a man. He is a prophet. He is the Messiah, but he's also the Savior of the world. Hallelujah for that today. I want you to bow your heads in prayer with me as I bring this to a close. You know what? Any encounter with Jesus will cause you to see that he is everything you have ever had need of in your life. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit this morning to communicate to your heart far beyond any words that I have said. But I'm confident that someone in the house today has realized that something you hold, something you've taken, something in your possession has turned to gravel in your mouth. It started off as sweet bread, but because it was acquired by what you have to say is dishonest gain, it has turned to gravel in your mouth. You truly want God to bless your life, but you understand that God will only bless truth.
true truth. And it's time for you to come clean about it today. You can lie to people. You can lie to a customer. You can lie to a supervisor. You can lie to your spouse. You can lie to your children. You can even lie to yourself. But you can never lie to the omniscient, all-knowing God. And a life of faith starts when you come clean before God. Here's what I want to do this morning with your heads bowed. I'm quite sure that if I open these altars by asking all the liars to come forward, no one would respond. But I'm also confident that we have all been affected by lying and dishonesty. Maybe someone has lied about you. Maybe you've had someone lie to you. Maybe you're living with a liar. Maybe you've become aware this morning that you have, you have felt justified in just operating in simple facts. As long as you could say there's some semblance of truth to that, you're okay with that. Rather than moving to the realm of true truth and the spirit of truth that has redemption attached to it. Some of you may be saying this morning, Pastor Dan, I'm, I'm tired of living a lie. I just need to come clean and give it to Jesus. I just want to say this. I'm not going to call you forward today, but if any of those things are true of you, you've been affected by someone who's lied to you, it's been destructive to you, been lied about, maybe you're dealing with the temptation to be dishonest to make yourself look better, or maybe you're saying, I want to move from truth to true truth. Would you just stand where you are? I'm not going to call you forward. Just stand where you are if that's anybody in the house today. Whatever, whatever the response is of your heart. Let me just pray for you today. <clears throat> we are so thankful today, Lord Jesus, to know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that is what gives us access to the Father. We're also thankful today, Lord, to know that you know everything about us. You know the real truth about us. And yet in the midst of that, it's unbelievable to know that you you love us and you want us as we are. So for those today who are have had any measure of grappling with this issue of dishonesty, whether inflicted upon them or they've inflicted upon others. We're asking for your grace to be upon us. Lord, forgive us for sin that we have committed before your eyes. Let us be reminded that we walk and we live before your all-seeing eye and that you've called us to walk in purity and in honesty, truthfulness before you. So Lord, forgive us for where we have failed in this regard. And Lord, we're asking that you will give grace for truth. Let us all operate in the spirit of truth. I pray for those today in this house who are dealing with situations that seem baffling or seem confusing and they don't understand what's going on because they, for whatever reason, they've not gotten yet to the true truth. For whatever reason, they've not gotten there. Will you reveal the truth, what is really taking place in the situations of our lives for which we need your help? 
Because when we are given the truth and we come face to face with the truth, you will provide grace for us to process and deal and cope with that. And so we give you thanks for that in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Would you stand with me please, everyone standing? Our pastors are always available to talk with you further. If you've accepted Christ today, if you've said, I'm gonna, I want to give my life to Him, we're more than happy to talk with you further. How many of you want to know the truth about the situation? Let me see your hand. How many of you know you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free? Can you say amen to that today? There's something liberating about the truth. Come on, y'all, put your hands together. Let's give praise to the name of the Lord Jesus.